and welcome to the 29th episode of the Crystal Clear Watchmaking Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, and here with me is a very special guest. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, I can, actually. Um, my name is Kevin. Uh, I work and live in Vienna for a special, uh, some kind of special workshop which is specialized on only repairing high-end mechanical watches. We are certified for Olima Piquet and Jägerle and IWC and Cartier. We also have a bit of Zenit and from Omega. We actually do as well the coaxial escapement stuff of them. And I polish watches now for uh, nearly 10 years. Okay, so what I, what I wanted to say to people is that if they want to see the kind of work you do, you've got an amazing Instagram. Do you want to plug your Instagram handle? Yeah, it's at watchcaserestorations. Yeah, and I have to say, the images here are shockingly good. I'm so impressed. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, quite new to me to, to get all this attention from an international kind of review. Now it's uh, just have it for two months, I guess. And yeah, it's, it's, it's still very amazing to me. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a bit red if you talk about that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so a couple of questions. So how did you get into watchmaking in the first place? Uh, funny story, actually. I was already working for my uh, boss when I was about 16 years old in a, some, some kind of uh, weekend job where he was still the, the CEO of Breitling in Vienna. He um, hooked me up for doing uh, some, some painting work there. And after that, um, I got back to him after I did my, my public service. And I only did the, the packaging stuff because they also sending some ETA watch parts. Back then it was normal to do that and allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. They were searching for a new watchmaker and I was just talking, yeah, if you cannot find someone, try me. And yeah, and the next day I was sitting in a workshop. <laughs> so does that mean that um, you didn't go to watchmaking school? You took the apprenticeship route to learning? Yes, exactly. I was the first uh, apprenticeship learning guy. I really don't know how to say it in English, sorry for uh, i think over 15 years in vienna wow okay there was no one yeah was no one like me and that because you have here in vienna back, back then or uh there was also a school in vienna and there is another school in uh Karlstein, which is a bit more famous than the one in vienna they, mm. the, the, the one in vienna is closed already because they they didn't have that much people interested in sadly oh that is not that's not good so when we look at your Instagram, it's all about case refinishing. So I have to ask, is that your main interest is case refinishing? I imagine when you refinish a case for somebody, I have a hard time imagining that you just put the movement in unservice. So is it service movement and case restoration or you just uh, restore the case? Uh, I for myself only restore the cases. Oh, okay. You said you're a workshop. Does somebody else do the movement service? Yes, thing, exactly. Or? Most of the watches you see on my Instagram are getting serviced by our watchmakers. 
in the in the background. Oh, okay. But yeah, we we also have a workshop Instagram, but they do not really do much pictures, sadly, because yeah, you would see like like cool stuff from millinery AP stuff and, and uh, like perpetual calendars from IWC and all of that. But yeah, they do not really have the time to make pictures, or they don't take the time to make pictures. Sadly. That would be so good if we could see that as well. I, I always telling them that they have to. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a I've got a list of questions for you. Um, so a lot of the work that I've seen on your Instagram has um, basically where there's a dent or something in the case, and then you're adding material to the dent and then refinishing it. So uh, I've heard. <clears throat> I've heard people say before that they use a laser sintering. Is that what you use to add material? Um, actually, it is some kind of micro wick welding. What I use with the poke. Okay. Yeah. And could you sort of guide us through the process of taking a dent from being dented to being the final finish? Yeah. Most uh, first to do a sum of cleaning because always in this denser there's dirt and stuff and that you don't want into if you if you weld, that's not good because it it um, prevents the material from binding. Mm -hmm. So you clean it. Then I do a bit of lapping or, or grinding to see how how deep the dent is and then removing some of the of the dirty edges. Then I add the material. The most material that is used is the 316L steel. Mm -hmm. I think Rolex is using the 904L steel, but don't quote me on that. Right. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, something like that. It is. It's. It's. I don't like the steel. It's. It's. Uh, just to be different, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Then I add the material, and then I do uh, a bit of shaping. To look if it was already enough material or not, and sometimes it's um, you have to add more because it, it uh, comes off if if it's really deep dense, it's hard to to get all filled in one in one um, in one process. So sometimes you have to do a step forward and a step back and a step forward. Some some. So some your step dead. forward there is that hand filing that you're doing, or what's what's the step to to turn that bead of metal into the case shape? Uh, yeah, it depends It depends on the case shape. Sometimes it's by hand with the file, sometimes it's with the lapping machine, or sometimes it's with a, a hard rubber artifacts grinding wheel. Okay, gotcha. Now, here's something that I think I have not done pretty much anything with cases before because there's such a strong movement that says, oh, if you touch the case, you're ruining the value. You know what I'm saying? People worried about polishing and everything. And I have seen some watches before that, you know, they have really nice shape and then it gets polished and it's all just a mess afterwards. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah, it's not what happens at your workshop. Your workshop is completely different than that. Um, and in fact, your workshop is so different than that that I find that when you're done, it makes the watch look like it might have just come out of the factory almost from, you know, the 1960s or whenever they were purchased. So I guess my question is, is there any concerns that you've heard about people with the vintage market? They could take 
a well-known watch but is in bad shape with the case, then send it off to get the case refinished in this way, and then try to sell it as if that's the original condition. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, there are, of course, there are people that are trying to do that. I mean, it's, it's all about making money for most of these people. And uh, I also knew what they were talking before, because when I was starting at our workshop, there was the neighbor from my boss was polishing watches. She was working as a, as a seller in a tool shop mm -hmm. with, without any, any knowledge about watches. And for a bit of extra money, she was polishing the watches. And that was really not good. Yeah, it, it was just polishing. It, it's all, all the, the edges and, and, and the chamfers all going uh, just polished. So all rounded and, and just not good. And that's why I understand people that are a bit concerned about when you tell them that you polished the watch. Because it was for a very, very long time, even here or... Yeah, here in Europe, it was like that, that these people um, do not really or didn't, not, didn't really know what to do and how to do. Just in the last few years, um, the awareness was raised by that. I also did some trainings at, at Audemars Piquet or at Jäger Le Coultre, of course. And the one, the trainer at, at Audemars Piquet told me that the guy before me from Austria was... Mm -hmm. Shit. <laughs> yeah. he, he told me that this guy didn't have any clue about polishing. <laughs> he was a pretty good watchmaker in, in terms of movement. Yeah? I don't want right. to take that off from him. But his polishing stuff was shit. That was, <laughs> was his words. I mean, I think it was one of the few words in English he could spoke. Because they only speak French. Now. <laughs> but he said shit. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, that's actually really interesting. Um, I don't know how much you can discuss what happened at Audemars Piguet, but I would be very interested to hear what your your refresher course or whatever at Audemars Piguet was like. Uh, I can't talk about that. That's okay. It's uh, at first I want to say <laughs> these people are really, really, really awesome. That's I, I was. I was a bit scared before or at first when I heard that I go to Audemars Piquet because uh, my boss is a bit of traditional, if you know what I mean. And I, I, I have long hairs, I am bearded, I am tattooed and I'm, I'm pierced. <laughs> and that's not how uh, an actual watchmaker is looking, at right. least in, in these old brains. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. he told me that They're I have... clean cut. Yeah, and, and he told me that I have to cut my hairs and shave and, and give out my piercing and cover my tattoos and stuff. And then I was entering the the, dry, uh, the, the parking space at Audemars Piquet. And there's also the, the smoking space. Mm -hmm. And there was only people with... I don't know how to describe if you go to a tattoo convention. Yeah. It was looking like that. <laughs> and uh, the main polisher was looking like a guy right out of the woods. <laughs> like like bearded and, and uh, yeah, just in, in German we say Räuberhotzenplotz. I don't know if there is something similar in, 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 in America to that. Like Bigfoot, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and what what really what was really cool was there was a picture on on his table where he was um, carrying the CEO of Audema PK around on his back. <laughs> While you see in the background there was uh, grilling from from an uh, from an old tanker. He made a grill out of an old tanker and was grilling on a parking space for the company and carrying his CEO on the back around. So these people are really really awesome and really nice. <laughs> And it sounds like a good work environment. Yeah, it, it actually is. The thing there was, he told me how to work on their cases with their tools. Because they have, for everything they do, they have their own tool for them. And of course, they want you to buy all of these tools, which is very expensive. And which you <laughs> cannot really afford. But Did you end up buying any of them that you, you saw in action? You're like, oh, I need that one. Uh, you know what I mean? I would like some of th some of these tools would be really cool to have, but yeah, <laughs> too expensive. <Gotcha. laughs> yeah, I actually really learned um, using uh, the the tin disc. That was the first time ever I saw a tin disc there. Like uh, I think the people better know it as terrazzo polishing. Okay. This uh, this what the what the psycho guys are doing with the with the full tin disc. Which uh, or black polishing is is also a, a word for that, and they use that on on some jumpers of their steel cases. So, just out of curiosity, I know you can't really tell us what happened in there, but just out of curiosity, how long was were you there? Were you there for like a week or? Yeah, the first time I was for a week there, but um, okay, I was on the first day. He gave me some uh, like broken cases from the from the. From the factory, from the, from the factory, which like the the, the uh, manufacturing machine had had broken because the the, the tool was already um, used and not sharp enough anymore and stuff like that. You get that to to dry mm. a bit around, where you cannot really damage anything. And I think on the on the third day, I already was working for them some kind of that. So they gave me a watch from a customer. Wow. That's a lot of trust quite quickly. Yeah, it depends on how good you are, to be honest. If if he sees that you do not really understand what he's telling and showing you, you probably won't give him that case, of course. But uh, as he could have seen that I have a bit of uh, have already a bit of experience, so he gave me some some real cases like that. Okay. And it, yeah, because it was also the story that um, the customers from Audemars Piquet told Audemars Piquet that our workshop is better than the actual workshop back then. Oh, I bet they didn't like hearing that. <laughs> so, I have a question for you. So, there's a thing in case finishing which I feel really shows how good someone is at uh, case finishing, which is... If there's a brushed surface next to a polished surface, how sharp is that change? You know what I'm saying? Yes. So how do you get a very sharp change between brush and polish like that? That's that's well done. Um, it depends on the case, but mostly you for the pol or for the for the shaping, um, it's good to use the lapping machine, even if you have a brush after or a brushing after and uh, which I'm not really a fan of is using a big belt grinder I'm a, I'm more for uh, doing it by hand 
with a with a um, wooden stick with a abrasive paper on it to get the brushed finish. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like for uh, Audemars Piquet, I mostly or all of the the brushed linings I do by hand. It's just the shaping I do with the machine and the brushed finish I do with with uh, barehanded. If you want to say that. Okay, I actually have a very specific question. Um, you have a finish on a case back of an Apollo 18 Omega Speedmaster, uh, Apollo 11 Omega Speedmaster. The eagle has landed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this is a, a very, very impressive photo of the change between uh, the two case backs. And I was wondering, so it's very complex. It looks like you added like a bead blasted finish where it had been worn off. And then the eagle and all the lettering and the, the continents are still polished. How do you do that much like small detail? How, how is that done? Uh, yeah, by using a, a masking tape, a sharp uh, surgical blade, and a lot of time. <laughs> okay, so you cut out all the little letters out of masking tape and put them on top of the letters. No, no, I, I put the masking tape on it and then I cut it out. Okay, okay, yes. okay. And then I do the sandblasting, and after that I did a bit of polishing with a mini tool. Okay, so here's a question, because when you do polishing and rebrushing, refinishing and everything, have it, and I couldn't see any case on your Instagram where I thought that it was, that you would run into this problem, so I'm wondering how it's done or if you do it. What if you have a case that comes in that's gold-plated? Uh, yeah, that's a tough, tough one. We, if, if it is gold, uh, yeah, you have to, to take a look if it's possible or not. We have a foundry here that can do replating, but that is expensive. And most customers don't want to, want to pay that. So it's most likely just a bit of, bit of polishing, a bit of grinding, but not too much. So the, all the dents and all that stuff stay in. Okay. It's, it's really funny that you asked that because uh, on Monday, I think, I did um, a an, an, an very old, uh, not very old, but a very rare one, uh, a Rolex, which, wait, 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 um, um, it's, yeah, the, the 1025. Uh, I've sent you the photo on Instagram. Oh, wow, that's pretty well done. Yeah, it was, in, in the, the, the gold coating was thick, thick enough to, to do that. I'm not surprised that Rolex has a deep gold plate. It was the first I saw in, in like 10 years from that. I, I, I didn't even knew that the Rolex had uh, gold-plated cases. Yeah, most of the time it's just solid gold all the way through if it's going to be Rolex gold. So if someone wanted something to be replated, you said you've got the foundry there and it's a technology that they can do, but it's a bit expensive. How much does the, the plating service cost? Actually, no one ever said yes. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's yeah, it's the gold price and a bit of a uh, bit of for the working time. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't know. <laughs> we have um, maybe I can tell it uh, you for another thing because we have, um, but that might take a bit of time till I know that. Um, we have an old Omega which we go send in for a new chrome coating. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, we removed the old chrome that was damaged and 
then I have to reshape it. It is still laying in the workshop and I have to do it. Um, I will make pictures of that. And I also try to make pictures of it when it comes back from the from the chrome stuff. <laughs> Rechroming. I don't know how to say it. Yeah, I think that I think that sounds right. So you mentioned the tin disc polishing or Zeratsu polishing or flat polishing. Now my understanding just from seeing videos is that you've got well here's what I've seen for polishing the ends of screws is they have like a, a flat piece of tin, they put on diamond paste, and then they have a, a thing to hold the pin very level, and then they rub it in little circles on, on the tin plate for a screw. Yes. And how, how is that done for a full watch case? Um, the, like the exact same way. It's just a bigger disc. You have to mount the, the case on something that is moving like these um, uh, lapping tools and you have to add of course uh, the correct diamond paste and so do you change the grits of the diamond or how how do you go from not polished to all the way finished uh yeah it's um i start with with like uh 30 micrometer paper then i go over to nine micrometer then we have the, the diamond pastes go down from 6 to 3 to 1 and to uh, 1 quarter. Okay, so it's very fine finishing by the end. Yeah, but the, the 1 quarter thing is more like Lange is using and yeah, for, for their hand angling and, and stuff like that. So mostly it is, an, it is done with, with um, the three, 3 micrometers. And then uh, you, you go just for one touch on the cotton wheel. Okay, I actually had a question about wheels. So... As I told you, I'm not much of a polishing guy at all. I'm not that knowledgeable, but I saw a good deal on a polishing wheel, and I picked one up. What I wanted to do with it is I had some rounded polish uh, screws in a movement, and I thought, oh, well, I could take those screws, I could put them on the polishing wheel, try to get something done, and make those screws look good again. If you do it with a flat polish screw and you put it on a wheel, you're ruining it. But these were already rounded polished screw ends, you know what I'm saying? So my question is, how do you use a polishing wheel in the first place? Can you kind of give us a rundown on how, how a polishing wheel works? Let's say if you're polishing a, a stainless steel case. Um, I try to use it as less as possible. Okay. To be honest, yeah, it's it's um, for me it's all about the the right uh, the right preparing or the right preparation. So you have to give it a good grinding, yeah, a good grinding and then a good ground shaping. And just for one last touch, you go on the on the high gloss polishing wheel. Okay, so what compound do you use on on the wheel when you're doing that? Are there's many types of different wheels that you can put on the polishing machine? What kind of uh, wheel do you put on? Um, I use from a local supplier special made um, with silk and cotton in a, um, yeah, with silk and cotton in it. They do that for us and I use the, I don't know how this, the, the, the compound is called. We get it from Schurch, a Swiss supplier. Yeah, it's a aviage and polisage in, in one piece. So it's a very fine fine thingy 
I don't know what is in there, and to be honest, <laughs> okay. it's it's yeah, it's like diamond paste, but it's it's a very fine diamond paste, and it's as I said, you can get you you can use it for for the for polishing, and you can also use it for the for the avage, which is just the the fine touch, like if it's dusty, you can remove the dust by touching it slightly with the polishing wheel. Now here's something that I'm sure you see reasonably often, which is rust. So if you've got rust on a case, how do you how do you deal with it? Um, I, I use an, an antioxidant liquid to remove it. So you just leave the case in there for a few hours or something? No, 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 for five minutes in the in the ultrasonic. Okay. And it yeah it it, it comes off. And then the rust has corroded and made that surface not the not as great. So I imagine then that surface gets uh, ground. You mean how the field is this uh, corroded? The rust damage. Yeah, that's that's actually really hard to do because it's it's crumbling and you you cannot really grind it off because it it would all come came out. But there is a a trick that you can use. Um, which is it's called like um, glue damask or glue damask is is this Damascus glue Damascus? So you use epoxy with a bit of steel powder and fill in the holes. That's something you can do, but you have to be careful and don't add too much. And yeah, it's not the the best looking way after, but you can at least use it on inner surfaces, like if you have an old Rolex case bag. And there is the washer line, and you can use it on that for giving the the washer a surface, so it can be at least water resistant again. I, so I'm wondering, when people think of like over polishing and you know the kind of work that ends up making a watch case look worse, I feel like a lot of that is with polishing wheels and grinding wheels, and basically just you know, electronically powered equipment, but you say that you do a lot of the finishing by hand. So I'm wondering, what is what is the handwork that you do? How is it done? Like, let's say you wanted to put a, a brushed surface and you're saying you do it by hand. Do you take sandpaper and you glue it to a stick and then you rub it? Or how, how is that done? Oh, you can actually buy these sticks. Yeah, you, you, can, uh, you can get them from uh, 3M. I think that's a company well known also to the US and, and uh, on the whole world. If you're used to uh, work with abrasive papers, you probably know 3M and they have so yeah. much really cool stuff. I don't get sponsored by them, but I really love their stuff. I, I only can recommend you to use that because I use it as well. So to get the, to get the brush finish, it's a stick from 3M that has like a very fine sandpaper surface to it or yeah actually it's uh, the 40 micron okay so very very fine it's it's it, when it's fresh it's uh, you can get a really nice finish i use it uh, as i said i use it on the on the side of the automobile cases um i use it on the side of the iwc cases pretty much on, on every side <laughs> to be honest yeah I have um, some kind of self-made wheel, which is a um, uh, very hard uh, felt cylindrical cylinder. Where, yeah. where, uh, yeah, it's 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 a self uh, 
a self stick or a sticky paper which just yeah put on on that and you can use that on a very uh, very low round per minute but you always have the, the risk of rounding it up so it's better to use your hands because yeah the other thing would be if you really if you have a really 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 good and expensive belt grinder I mean, there are some really good belt grinders from the knife-making suppliers, but you have to modify them so they can re uh, run really at a really low speed. That would be working as well, but you take a bit of practice. The easier way is to do it by hand, and the more safe way is to do it by hand. Gotcha. So when I'm looking at these, when I'm looking at your Instagram, it's mostly cases, but in some... You've done a little bit of uh, posting of bracelets that you've refinished. So a bracelet, it's got a lot of moving parts and stuff. How how do you do a setup for, let's say you're polishing a bracelet. How, how is that done? Oh, that depends on the bracelet. If we go for the engineer from IWC, you can dismantle it piece by piece. And you have to because the, the polished links and you have, you have the... the the one uh, square shaped link and you have the, the the one that looks like a bone and the one that looks like a bone is is with a satin finish and the square shape uh, square shaped is polished and you have to do that on the on the lapping machine to make it flat again and yeah that's uh, that's one of the the more um one of the bracelets that is a lot of work to do and if you have just like an, an oyster, uh, oyster bracelet from Rolex, it's just like grind out the dents and yeah, give it a nice satin finish back. So it, it, and it really. How do you give the satin finish? Uh, <laughs> there, once again, we use some special made satin, um, satin wheels from a German grinding company. Okay. So Americans listening are going to have a hard time finding. <laughs> I guess, yeah, the, the, the company is called Teat. And I already told one guy who asked me, and he said to me that he doesn't find these wheels. So they really only do them for us, as far as I know. Oh, okay, gotcha. I mean, we sell them, but I think it's quite expensive for guys in the US because of the shipping. And one of these wheels is about 80 euros. Oh my gosh. Yes. What's in the wheel? You said you had another wheel that had silk in it, which sounds quite extravagant. Do you know what's in this wheel that makes it cost $80? Honestly, no. I really don't know. <laughs> I didn't even know that they cost like 80 euros. I just saw it on an invoice for a few days ago. And I was, yeah, as you told, oh my gosh. <laughs> I didn't know that these are so expensive. So for the IWC, it's got the differing finishes so you take it apart now i've seen some videos of people just taking a whole bracelet and putting it up against a polish wheel is that something that is ever done or not really oh you can do that for brightling okay uh, they they have some only polished bracelets where you can do that because their steel is, is kind of uh, soft so it's it's um very easy to polish and you get a lot of of this stuff out by only polishing it and the next thing is um they they are all round shaped the links so you cannot really damage it if you just take care and polish from the middle to the uh to the side edge 
you cannot really damage it. So, what would you say is the hardest uh, type of job that comes into the workshop? You mean brand-wise or like the hardest work that I can get to do? Uh, I'd say just something where when you when you get asked to do it, you're like, oh, that's, that's going to be difficult. It could be a brand or it could be a, a type of case or I don't know. Uh, what I really... I can tell you what I don't like to do because it's annoying. Yeah, that's like the, the uh, Cartier Santos bracelets with those screws that are not screws. These are annoying. I really hate to do them. Okay, <laughs> how, how do they work if they're not really screws? You have to cover it with masking tape and cut them out. It's, yeah, stupid, stupid work. <laughs> you cut your fingers all the time. So when you're, when you're done polishing a bracelet, polishing compound, I've got some here, and I imagine it gets in between the links and stuff. Do you just put it through uh, ultrasonic to get all of that out afterwards? Yes. And we use a steamer as well for the, the man jelly that is in the links. I think you know what I mean. This 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 uh, dead skin and dirt and stuff like that. You don't want that on your on your polishing. <laughs> yeah, like to just call it man jelly. So yeah, we blast it out with the with the steamer. Yeah, then you go polish it and then you can put it into the ultrasonic. So you've worked on a lot of very high-end watches um does that make you nervous when you do it or do you just feel very secure in in your in your experience now so it doesn't really bother you it make me nervous yeah when i when i started it was some gold rolex but now it's yeah no not a rolex so yeah it's like now i'm getting kind of not really of board, but it's 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 a used new thing for me. If you know what I mean, it's it's not. I don't see it as as a Rolex, as a or a. It's just like oh, it's a nice piece of metal that I have to work on. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Otherwise, if you if you get shaky, you probably will fuck it up. It's like um yeah, if you if you redo the shape of of the um from the escapement uh. Oh, all my English words are gone. The the spring from the escapement, uh, the spiral. The hairspring? The hairspring, thank you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you're nervous about doing it, you probably will fuck it up. But if, you, if you're safe and settled, you will do it. I think you know what I mean. That's true. Yeah, that is it's true. It's the same with polishing. <laughs> now, your most recent Instagram post is an awesome refinish of the uh vacheron overseas when i look at the job you did one of the things that sticks out to me is how nice the polish on the side is the side opposite of the chronograph pushers so how is that is that done because it's a curved it's a curved edge so do you do the tin plate is that on a wheel is this done by hand somehow um, I did it with my hand on the lapping machine. I want to. It's it's not like it's it's a uh, it's it's not in 90 degree. It's in a bit of an angle, so you cannot really lay something under because I, I have a like a, a block out of plastic for stuff that is made in 90 degree. So I can just lay it on there and uh, just have to keep the the round shape. 
but this is is not the case on that case because it's in a different angle. It's it's uh, I don't know which exact which angle exactly, but I have to to hold it with my thumb and have to turn it with my other hand. Um, yeah, on the on the running on the on the running lapping machine. So it's it's a bit of that's something you have to get used to. And as I said earlier, don't be afraid of. You need a bit of practice, practice, but you have to work a lot of freehand on the lapping machine. Should I practice on a Vacheron Constantin? <laughs> I don't know how how many resources you have in background to get your customers <laughs> or keep your customers happy if you fuck the job up. But yeah, <laughs> why not? If you've done that and it comes out good, you can do anything. Now, when you're talking about lap, lapping machines, what that reminds me of is the jewelry industry. They make the facets of the jewels on lapping machines. Are they exact same lapping machines that you use? Um, I don't know, to be honest. Uh, my lapping machine is a on, is on very old one. Um, do you know the, the Instagram guy, Horological Tools? Yes, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've sent him my lapping machine and I learned more about my lapping machine from him because he knows more than me. It's an it's an old one. It's done by some uh, German company and that's the only one I used by now. I mean, I, I had um, one from the Crevoucher at IWC, but I do not really like it because it's too much bling bling you don't need, like touchscreen and stuff. Um, and you cannot change the, the plates. That's for me one of the, the biggest issues I have with, with uh, newer lapping machines. Because I want to quick change my plates because I, I have the different types of paper on it. So, uh, yeah. If you have so always... do they just expect you to buy a different lapping machine for every type of plate? You can't change the plate? I don't know. The, I really don't know. I think they... I think they think that you only use one type of of, uh, of paper. I mean, Automobile has for every type of paper a own machine, but they are Automobile. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, <laughs> they can afford that. Yeah, it's it's it's. I don't think that these machines are done by people that know how to use them, and I don't know any any other machines from the Juveler factory or industry. I only know my machine. Okay. Now, when I when I look at the case back of this uh, Vacheron Overseas here, it's reminding me of one of our earlier episodes. So we did an episode on dial making. My understanding for a sunburst dial is they've got a wheel, and then they spin the dial under the wheel where the wheel touches from the center to the outside of the dial, and then they spin it 360, and that brushes in the radial pattern to make the sunburst, right? Yes. My question is, you've got radial brushing on this um, case back, and I'm wondering how you do radial brushing. It seems like that would be... Is that done with hand tools? That seems like it's impossible with hand tools. Or is it not impossible? Um, I've actually heard from people that they did it by hand by using um, some kind of own built um, tool that was from the, from the wheel cutting. Where you can set the the, the uh, your your part every every few um, centimeters on, on on the turn, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If you if you know these these old wheel uh, or old teeth cutting um, machines, where you have your wheel and you you cut one, 
one or uh, one teeth and then you, you turn it to the next step and cut it again and turn it to the next step and cut it again and they did that with the uh, with the wood stick and and some kind of that too but i do it with a lapping machine <laughs> okay so you get this radial brushing on the case back using the lapping machine as well yes okay i mean i just want to to show that there are different ways for each finishing it's it's not like one thing or one way is the only way to go it's um it's polishing it's you have to remove human made mistakes so you can do individual stuff and, and style it's it's so many ways that that lead you to the to the to the finish you want just get a bit creative and you you find something in your workshop to use for doing the right job that's what i wanted to say okay now I asked you what is the most annoying job. Are there any jobs where you really like them? It comes in, you're like, oh, I'm looking forward to doing that one. Yeah, I love old Omegas and old Psychos. And old Seikos? Yes, the the bullhead and, and that stuff. Oh, okay. I've got a King Seiko in my hand right now. Have you worked on any of those? Um, I don't know. How is it looking? <laughs> King, you said? <laughs> Yeah, King Seiko was like the, you know, Grand Seiko, yeah? And King Seiko was made at the same time back in the day, but then when Grand Seiko came back, they didn't bring back King Seiko, so all King Seikos are... Ah, I see, these ones, okay, okay. Uh, yeah, these ones as well. I like them, I really like them. I see, ah, the, the, the one with KS on the dial, that makes sense. Yeah. These, I feel like, are, they're like a hidden secret. Not many people collect them, and they're just, they're kind of the same quality as vintage Grand Seikos for the most part, but they're just super cheap in comparison. Uh, I like Psycho. I, I, I don't know why so many people over here hating on them, but I really like them. Um... <laughs> it's because they're competition. I know no, it's it's like the the Japanese built different than the Swiss people, and most of the watchmakers over here are used to the to the Swiss style of watchmaking. It is true. When I when I serviced this thing, I thought that the the movement was a little bit different than how this. Yeah, but it's working. It's it's like a lado. I don't know. It's 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 just working. It's like an an Asian Rolex, from from the re reliability. You always can rely on your psycho. Yeah, that is so true. Now, actually, here's a question. So you're talking about watches you like. What what watches do you own? <laughs> I own... What, what does your collection look like? <laughs> it's not that big, actually. I, I own an Omega Mark III, okay. which I have to do sometimes. I talk about, I don't know, seven years now that I have to, but I never find the time for working on my own watch. <laughs> 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 yeah, and I recently got um, an old Tissot Navigator, or Navigator, you call it. In okay. Um, yeah, and what I really want to have, but probably will never happen, is the 50 Fatums, the old one from the Blancpain. Okay, so what I'm getting out of this is you like vintage watches a lot. Yes, exactly. Like yeah, old old um, sporty or military style watches, or like diving watches. So, 
are there any modern watches that that catch your eye at all or i guess you're contractually have to say you like Audemars Piguet and Breitling, right? <laughs> no, Breitling not. <laughs> Breitling not. I mean, the the newer models are quite good looking. Uh, I think it's the new uh, Chronomart, which is kind of okay or better than the, the older one. Um, I like the old Navi Timer, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, Audemars Piguet, I don't know. This, this, something is cool about them, but they're so bulky, most of them. And I, I don't want to go the whole day in circles because I wear like three tons on my my wrist. It's the same <laughs> same like it. We have a customer who is I don't know. I can only tell it in centimeters. Who is like one and a half or 150 centimeters high and is wearing or wearing a Rolex Deep Sea. So you can imagine there is no 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 bracelet links left to. Uh, to get out of the bracelet and it still is too big for his wrist and he's wearing this big watch it looks so stupid I always have to laugh when I see him <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this this podcast <laughs> yeah he's, he's a very nice guy but that is I don't know it's ridiculous um, new new watch I like I have to say I like Ambionaire yes I like They're so good, aren't they? Yeah, I like how they approach to watchmaking because they are not really watchmakers; these are micro mechanics, and they have a different approach to to showing off the time, and that is what I like, to be honest. So, do you like the horological machines or the legacy machines? I like both, to be honest. I like both. It's it's yeah, I like every watch I saw from them by now. To be honest, I, I mean, I don't want to wear it, but I like it. <laughs> Why don't you want to wear it? Because it's too expensive? Uh, no, it's it's not matching my style, most of them. Mm. Not much. I think the Legacy Machine Perpetual is amazing looking. I have to look that up. <laughs> Perpetual. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one is, is really cool. It's, it's something, it's, it's a bit classy, but... With with their own touch, because they have the the heart in the middle, it's really cool. Yeah, and this one is is what they they say that it's impossible to break. You know, with perpetuals, you can't push. With this one, you could push all the pushers at the same time and just mess with it, and it will not break the mechanism. Okay. Yeah, they 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 reinvented a new perpetual calendar uh, setup. Is, is my understanding that's quite cool because it's it's very painful if someone is pushing on their perpetual calendar and then comes to us and you have to yeah reset it because you have to to rebuild it on a on a certain stance for of the wheels i can say from iwc they do us um, a handout for a for a certain date you have to re assemble it so you can turn back from them to the now day that's how you set up yeah how you set it up perpetuals i feel like they look good but the movement the the traditional way of making those movements is just really not customer friendly yeah right that's that's a good way to describe it so you've been working at this uh, at this workshop if somebody wants to if somebody sees your awesome 
Instagram, and then they say, oh, I want that done for my watch, how how do they uh, get a hold of the workshop? They can send it. I, I mean, you, you can you can write me, and I give you the all the, the contact dates. Okay. Yeah, because you, yeah, you, you can send me a picture of your watch, and I can tell you approximately what it will cost, and if it's possible to... Yeah, did you have a look at the windmill? At the windmill? Windmill. I, I write it to you. The the Instagram profile I sent to you. Oh, uh, I yeah, I had gone through this a little bit. Um, so what what's your interest in uh, in this in this guy in particular? He is doing the the real horology stuff. He's doing all by himself. He's building watches all by himself in a very traditional way. He normally does the the high end finishing for components. And in his free time, he's building watches. And have you met him or anything? Um, he's a quite a good friend from a colleague of mine. So I did not met him by real by now, but I know a lot of funny stories about. I love the hands on his watches. I love classic hands like. Yeah, you saw the bowl-shaped balance, or balance wheel, better said. Yeah, that's so unusual. Do you know what is the the reason? It's more accurate. Really, he has yeah yeah um he he took that from the original guy who was called J T Vinel back in the in the seventh uh, century. He was building high-end marine chronometers, which was in use um, till 40 or 50 years ago by the French marine. They were still in use because they was yeah they were still in use because they so accurate. And yeah, that's that's the reason behind he, he he uses that because he want to reinvent that style of watchmaking some kind of. Have you seen any of these in person by chance? His watches? No, no. He he just uh, he just finished his founding um, series, and you there's only six of each. You have three different um, case models, I say. You have one in. Uh, White gold, one in red gold, and one in platinum, and there are only six pieces of each. Yeah, these are incredible. Now, since he's he's doing it a lot by hand, single watchmaker, I'm imagining they're they're not cheap. I'm thinking hundred thousand, two hundred thousand. Do you no, have no. any idea what? what yeah, I here? I actually have the the cheapest is starting around at sixty thousand, which is sixty. Uh, Yeah, it's it's I think the 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 red gold one or or the white gold one and the platinum one is is about uh sixty uh sixty That I mean, when you when you're talking to somebody who's not into watches, they're like, that's insanely expensive. But when you know what it's like to have someone doing individual handmade watchmaking, that actually comes off as not that expensive. Yeah. Because he's doing so much by hand. Yeah, the the really cool thing is that you can, or that he shows off a lot what he's doing, and he's explaining it. That is the really cool thing behind the the whole stuff for me. Now, when I, a lot of people when they start their own independent watchmaker brand stuff like that, they'll sort of take parts from another movement, and then maybe make some of their own parts, but it's kind of a mix of of that. But when I look at this movement, it looks very much 
his. Do you have any idea if he if he's making everything or? As far as I know, he's making everything. Right. Except for the standard stuff like hairspring, jewels, and mainspring are like impossible to make yourself. Uh, yeah. Because um, uh, his latest post was about the the length of the hairspring. He is doing it by himself. He's making his own hairsprings. Yeah. He he's um he's doing the the shape of it. I think he buys only the the wire, and then he's he's shaping it by himself. Wow, that is so impressive. Yeah, his his latest pose is, is this this old tool where you you give it a swing and if it's synchron you are on a certain beat number by the length of of your hairspring. <laughs> I've did that once for school. <laughs> it's annoying to do. Based on how old this tool is, it it's got to be 18,000, right? Uh you mean the beat? Yeah. I think it's tw- uh, 21,600 or 21,800. Really? I think so. I'm not sure. Wow, this tool must have been cutting edge when it was made then. We have two of them in our workshop. You do? How often do those get used? <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's more for, yeah, if you... Back then, uh, when I was apprentice, when I did something bad, I have to do it. <laughs> so it's, yeah, <laughs> something like that. You, you It's... um. Yeah, like like a strike. Strike one, you do that. Strike two, you do it twice. With some special edition from the boss. <laughs> I'm wondering, what does like, the future look for you? You, you do such an amazing um, work. Are you going to... But you, you have a lot of uh, respect for independence. I'm wondering if 10 years from now you're going to be making your own cases or something. <laughs> It would be cool. Actually, um, I want to start looking into it. But, yeah, I don't know. It it would be cool to do that. Maybe a collaboration. That would be awesome. Somebody who's good at movements and then you do cases. Something like that. That that would be really cool to do. Um, there is another two guys which I follow on Instagram. They are building their own case. They, they, they bought an ETA movement and they're just building their own case because they um, they work with, with these um, CNC machines. And I asked them if I can do the like the, the, the finish of the cases, but they want to do it all by themselves, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> can I ask, what do I look up if I'm trying to find them on Instagram? They're called Lang and Frech. I can't um, type it to you. These are the two surnames of the guys. Okay, okay. Uh, I did a concept painting or drawing for them. They posted it back then. But they, uh, as far as I saw on their later post, they didn't uh, do the sunburst on the top of it. They're making quite angular uh, cases. Pretty modern style. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's cool that they use some kind of meteor for the dial. That's a really cool idea. Oh yeah, I'm seeing that there. I wonder how you cut such a thin piece of meteor without it just shattering or something. <laughs> yeah, they were wondering as well. I don't know <laughs> if they already did it like to their um, satisfaction. Maybe this is just a guess, but maybe when you've got the flat piece of meteor, maybe you put like a resin on that side, then cut your thin disc, and then dissolve the resin, and then you're left with it. That might be one way. 
I don't know. I'd, I'd never never worked with Meteor, but now I, I really have no idea how to do and how this this material is is behaving. I I I think it's it's quite hard to do. My my first thought was maybe with with some kind of um with with hot wire. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. I I forgot the the word for that. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's it's literally like a machine that heats up a wire super hot and it can just cut through metal and stuff very accurately. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um I I told them to use maybe that and they said that's not possible on that. <laughs> hmm. Uh, ir- erodieren is it called in German? I think it's irritating or something like that in <clears throat> in, in English term. So are they skeletonizing this uh this Edda themselves? I I think they bought it that way. Okay. They are not not really watchmakers. They they use they used to work on these CNC machines and they just wanted to to start a project in their in their free time. As far as I understand that that whole project. So here's a question that I've seen on um I guess videos that are released by like places like Alanganzana and stuff like that, um, where they're showing people working in their finishing workshop, and it's finishing on movements. So maybe maybe you don't know the answer, but I've seen them working on the anglage, you know? Yes. And they're holding what looks like a little Dremel tool. Like it looks electric with a little bit at the end. That they're maybe polishing the anglage or something like that? As far as I know, it is done by hand with a certain wood stick. Right, that's what I would expect. But I've seen these these Dremel tools, so I was I was wondering about that. Maybe they have to do more numbers of movements now, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not maybe it's not long that does it. But I was I was looking at it and I was wondering how you would get a really sharp one with uh without i mean it's hand finishing but with the with the electric spinning thing it seems like it would be hard to control but i mean i i use the same thing for like polishing the uh the eagle on the on the moonwatch we talked earlier okay and what are you doing there yeah i use like this this dremel tool with with an um with an hard felt piece on it Okay, and then your special polishing compound that I can only get if I live in Vienna or Germany. <laughs> no, no, I think they ship it worldwide. Okay, but I I don't know what is in there. That's that's yeah, I, I really don't know. But it's good. It's probably a secret. It's always a secret. It's it's from Switzerland. It's sure it's a secret. Carried <laughs> since thousands of years, and I don't know. Probably it's it's. Some I, I don't know. It's it's made out of I don't want to say cow shit, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't know. It's it's often like it's not that special as they make or made you think, to be honest. Yeah, I mean that's the nice thing about secrets. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Would you like to let the people hear one more time what your uh what your Instagram handle is, so that they can find you. Oh, um, yeah, sure, and, and I want to say thank you to some people, if that's possible. Absolutely. 
Let's Absolutely, hear it. yeah. So I want to thank my beautiful wife that gave me the time for that. I want to thank uh, thank Spencer because he's a really cool guy. He showed me as well your podcast and, and all the stuff. He's a young watchmaking enthusiast from uh, from America. <laughs> so really cool, cool. F- I made him on Reddit. It's it's, it's kind of a friendship now. And he also made me to do the the Instagram stuff, where you can find me <laughs> on the at Watchcase Restorations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I want to thank you for this awesome podcast. No problem. It was it was nice having you. Oh, I have one more question for you. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, you t- already took a look into the the Google Drive link I sent you. Yeah, I I took a peek. Yeah, I hope so. Maybe you you find a way to share it with the people. We'll we'll put the Google Drive into the the notes for today's show. It's got it's got a bunch of uh, materials for for watchmakers. Uh, interesting stuff to to learn. If you're a hobbyist, it's a it's a it's a good little gold mine there. That would be awesome. So with that said, is there anything else that you want to tell the people? Take care of your watches, please. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't smash them into the ground or, or into the door frame, and please don't tell tell your watchmaker that the watch was always in the safe when it was not. We see <laughs> that, we we see that, and we can figure out what happened. So don't lie to them, please. Just just tell the truth. It's all okay. You can you can have accidents. It's that's okay. <laughs> But please so don't funny. tell it's it is was all the time in the safe and suddenly it stopped working. Suddenly the hairspring was just completely ripped out of the movement. I don't know what happened. It was in yeah. the safe the whole time. <laughs> uh, okay, well we'll see everyone next week. We'll continue to discuss gear, springs, oils, watches, brands, all things watches and watchmaking.